Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to chat with Sammy Ray of Sammy Ray and the Friends over Zoom video. Sammy was born and raised in Connecticut, and she talks about how she got into music. Sammy took piano lessons at a very early age, and around 12 years old, they were able to take songwriting lessons. Sammy had a vocal teacher, music teacher, that also taught songwriting, was a songwriter, so uh, Sammy was able to learn songwriting at a very early age as well. After high school, Sammy moved to New York to attend college, was only in college for a year in a semester. Sammy has a great story about leaving college, making that decision to leave college, recording the first EP, The Good Life, the major success of the song Kick It To Me. We also learn how the band was able to continue to grow and grow on each and every release. We hear about where Sammy was when the pandemic hit, putting the record out, Let's Throw a Party all about the two cover songs that Sammy Ray and the Friends have released, and all about the most recent release called Follow Me Like the Moon. You can watch our interview with Sammy on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Sammy Ray of Sammy Ray and the Friends. Hi, Sammy. Hello there. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate you doing this. Of course. I'm glad to be here. Cool, cool. Um, my name is Adam, and this is about you and your journey in music, and we'll talk about the new record. Cool. Let's do it. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, first off, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in the small town of Derby, Connecticut, uh, just outside of New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. What was it like growing up there? You say small town. How small are we talking? Three square miles. Uh, oh, wow. Very small. That's very yeah, small. very, very little. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was extremely small. Um, Very little. It was wonderful. Um, It's a small town in Connecticut that's very, like, wooded. Uh, Mm -hmm. My backyard was a state park, so I spent a lot of time in the woods, running around in the dirt, running around in water, looking for bugs, looking for frogs, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, So, as you can imagine, it was uh, a culture shock when I left that town for the first time at 19 to move to the Bronx. <laughs> oh, wow. So you went from there to New York. Wow. Yeah, I went from there to New York. I went from there to when I was 18, I moved to the Bronx uh, to go to school. I thought I was going to be a teacher. And that took about a semester and a half. And then I ultimately left to start pursuing the band thing. And at that point, I moved to Brooklyn. So I'm living in Brooklyn and working on music by the time I was 19. Wow. Okay. What was the first instrument you learned how to play? I was playing piano, like keys, from the time I was like four to eight. Okay. So when I was a baby, baby, and Mm -hmm. I just kind of wanted to learn by ear. So I wasn't really big on the theory. I didn't pay a lot of attention. And then 
I left that. I stopped when I was like, you know, eight or nine. And then uh, when I was about 12 or 13, I went back and started taking songwriting lessons with somebody who was more geared towards teaching me how to write songs. So I was learning about chord structure and, and song structure and lyrics and that sort of thing. So the first instrument I learned was keys. And then I, you know, didn't really take very much lessons and then started applying that to songwriting when I was about 12. That's cool. They had a teacher that taught how to songwrite at that early of an age. My parents were the best. They they were like, I don't know what to do with this kid. I'm not from a very like cr creative family. And they found someone who was, I think she was giving singing lessons and she was also a songwriter. And so we were able to kind of tail tailor my lessons around songwriting. That's cool. Were you always like interested in, or were you always writing lyrics or like poetry or anything like that? Or like, was that something that had to come later with having this course or having this woman teach you? I, I had a lot of... I was always a words kind of kid. So I was always writing poems and little stories and stuff. And it was around that age that I started to, my dad started introducing me to like classic rock. So mm, like okay. Bruce Springsteen and the Rolling Stones and, and Fleetwood Mac and all that stuff. And that's when I started to understand lyrics, like words and music come together. And that's how you make a song. And that was really interesting to me. So around 12 or 13 is when I started paying attention to, to writing songs. And that became a big interest for me. Okay, cool. It, with, with a small town, how many kids were like in your high school or elementary school middle school or is it all like the same group of kids that kind of went up through everything together it was i did the same elementary and middle school situation it was pretty much the same kids there was like i don't know maybe 30 kids in my class and then i ultimately uh went to a, my high school was just like not the one in my town so i ended up going to a private high school outside of town um, I went to an all girls Catholic for high school, okay. which was a hundred, a hundred girls in my graduating class. And, uh, that was a whole thing, you know, but also <laughs> sure. it, it, going to, going to, going to that school, there was a lot more available to me when it came to the arts. So drama and, you know, acapella group and choirs and stuff like that. So I had a brilliant music teacher all four years who really saw this sort of talent in me and fostered that and encouraged me to go into songwriting if I wanted to. So, um, yeah, while it was what it was, it was mm -hmm. a hugely transformative experience for me and really kind of helped me for the first time, you know, really believe that I could, you, you can be a musician. That's like a viable right. career path if you want. I didn't, that's that cool. didn't really click with me until maybe the end of high school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And having somebody that's like advocating for, you know, kind of validating what you, you thought you wanted to do. That's, Amazing, especially like a teacher or somebody yeah. in that position. Yeah, oh, he's the best. I talk about him all the time. Always. His name is Chris. <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> you still keep in contact with him? I do. He came to see, we played an outdoor show in Connecticut a couple months ago. Just like a smart thing. And he came, he was just like, I played the whole show for him. There were hundreds of people there and I was just like playing to him and and it was it was amazing it was like it brought tears to my eyes it was crazy yeah yeah he was probably so stoked to see you you know the success that you've had with this and kind of being a yeah. part of it all you know what i mean yeah he was he was so honored and super floored and i, I talk about him all the time he knows that i talk about him all the time <laughs> so you were writing songs while attending high school and then were you playing out at all or I was. I was always writing songs. There was this little space. It was called The Space in Hamden, Connecticut, uh, which was right down the street from my high school. And it was the only place where you could, like, independent artists who were young could play sets. Like, they didn't mind if you were under 18. Mm -hmm. 
Mm, and okay. I played my first show when I was 15 and it was me and a piano and I was just playing my originals. And at that time it was very like pop oriented, kind of upbeat theatrical stuff. And I did that whenever I could uh, through high school. And then when I got to the city, um, I had gotten a couple of gigs singing like jazz standards, like dinner sets and, and private events and stuff like that. And then ultimately I started working on what became the Good Life EP, um, my first release and uh, original music and putting a band together and, and, and started playing around New York City. Okay. So you went to college then in New York for to be a teacher? That's what you originally thought you wanted to do? Yeah, I went for a full-time semester and then half of a part-time semester. And at that point, it was like, I just had my, I, you know, I also, they're on board now, obviously, God bless them. But I, my parents were, I was really the first one with an opportunity to like go to college like that. And mm -hmm. so there was just this, like, you have to get a degree. And if you want to make music, like, cool, but you have to get your degree. Um, so it was very hard for me, uh, you know, that, that when I, the year I was in school, for most of that year, it was tough because finally I was out of that really small town and I was like surrounded by people like me. I was surrounded by creatives. I was surrounded mm -hmm. by musical opportunities. And so I just felt kind of flooded by that and opportunities started affording themselves to me. And, and I was ultimately like, you know, I, I was trying to make it work and make a record at a studio that was like on the Lower East Side while I was living up at the top of the Bronx and I was commuting for two hours to go down there. I was missing classes anyway. And my life downtown made me so happy and I knew I was building something I really wanted to pursue with my life. And then at school was school. So, um, so yeah, that was a pretty hard transition. And, and, and I ultimately just decided to leave and, mm -hmm. and go see what we could do. Yeah. So did you have like, was there a moment like just recording that record? Like, was there like a, a success moment or something that happened that kind of was like, I, aside from the time and the, the, the time going down and back and forth and just kind of knowing that you wanted to pursue music, was there something that happened that you like really validated the fact that you needed to continue doing it, what you were doing? Uh, yeah, there were a couple moments. I think I started to go see live music when I was downtown to the clubs I could get into. And I realized this is a dumb way to say it, but like I had what it took, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I, I was making music and I was watching other people that like, you know, if, if they can get on that stage and they can put on this show, that my songs are as good, if not better. Sure. I'm as good a singer and a musician, if not better. And, and I realized, you know, I wasn't just like one of the most creatively gifted kids in my high school. Like I'm gifted and I can do this on the grand scale in, in New York. Um, and I was just so tired by the time I was living off campus. I was like babysitting and working at a restaurant and commuting two hours. And, and then I would have to go to class and it was just bananas. And I remember being in a, in a Western civilization class one day, this was a very definitive moment. And I was just kind of like present in person, but my books were, I just, I had to be there. I had to show up to class for whatever reason. And my teacher, I clearly was checked out. And my professor was like, you know, called me by my last name and, and was like, you know, why are you so unpresent today? And I was just like, I'm, I'm tired and I've been working on a lot of things off campus. And he was like, do you want to be in this classroom right now? Do you understand how that applies to your future? And I was like, no, I don't want to be here. And he was like, do you want to be on this campus? Do you want to be studying? And I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, then why are you wasting your time? Go drop out. And he said that in front of my whole class. And I was like, 
you're right, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I think it, I was kind of, I had having, I had an, a bit of an authority problem at that time period where I was like, you know, sir, no, I don't want to be here. And he was like, fine. Well, then there's no reason for you to be here. Why don't you withdraw? And my whole class is kind of watching. And I was like, you know what? I just might. And he was like, well, then there's your decision. No need to stay in this class bag and leave. Wow. And he kind of like kicked me out. And then I called my dad and I was like, I need to leave school and I need you to tell mom that I'm doing that. <laughs> and, they need you to tell and, mom. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and they, they, he, he understood. He was like, you know, you got to give this the fair try if you really want to do this thing. And my mom ended up coming around. But I withdrew and I moved to Brooklyn and my... Uh, the, never look back. <laughs> yeah, never look back. Everything that I was hoping for just kind of started to show up. I made the friends I'd been wanting to make since I was a teenager. You know, I had live music every night I could go see and I, my and my craft was I was building my craft every day just mm -hmm. by being around just inspired differently in a town like this you know mm -hmm. that's that's so awesome that you were able to you know just be like you know what to have that teacher kind of give you the nudge almost like oh if you don't want to be yeah. here then leave you're like well okay Fine. see you later yeah I don't know what I don't know what he was expecting but he was like he was like you know you're being very disrespectful by not being present like well do you want to be here and I was like no. And then he's like, then why are you here? <laughs> so, Which is funny because it's like, how are you disrespecting anyone else in the class if you aren't being present? Isn't it just like, yeah, you're I should just call him too. I should call, I should call him too. I should right. like, by the way, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I'd like to thank you for telling me I should leave this class. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And I would like to pull all the students that you've had over the course of the years and see how many of them actually utilize anything you taught them in their Thank you. <laughs> daily life. <laughs> exactly. I keep seeing I keep seeing this tweet that's just like something to the effect of like ah another beautiful day of not needing to use the Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one. It's so true. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's funny. Exactly. I, I mean, I went through college and it was like, why am I taking half these classes? And why am I paying for these classes? Like, what is the point of Listen, this? Listen, man, I don't know. All I can tell you <laughs> is that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. That's all I have for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you took. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. Oh, that's funny. So you were working on that first EP when you were still in, uh, in school? Yes, a little bit. Uh, okay. I was writing those songs. I was working on another uh, album that I ultimately, you know, didn't didn't see through. Um, but when I left school, I kind of had a chance to focus on the original EP, my material, those five songs on the Good Life, mm -hmm. full time. And and it was a kind of busy and relatively kind of lonely first couple of months where I didn't know anybody. Like I don't play trumpet, but I hear the trumpet part. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was just going to as many open mics and jam sessions as I could, just trying to meet people and taking people to coffee and eventually pulled this band together and, and went in and recorded The Good Life. Well, yeah, that, took, you have to be pretty outgoing to do that. For me, I'm just not an extrovert at all. So like going, that'd be hard for me to go to people and be like, hey, like you're you're really good at trumpet. Like, do you want to grab coffee and talk about playing on my record? Like, was that hard to do? Uh, I think... I don't know. I, I th that's the culture sort of of this sort of industry is like you know if I go to a club and I see a bassist playing with some other artist and then I go back two days later and he's playing with somebody else. That in my head is like okay, it's not just I think he's killing. Like people mm -hmm. in the industry think he's killing. He's in a lot of different people's bands. He's clearly versatile. Let me to be in my project and uh, yeah, I get that very often. That's it's it's. 
that's kind of a that, that that's kind of something you do in the industry somebody sure. if you say like hey I think you're cool let's go get coffee they're like is this a date but if you're like you know per, moving through the direction of i loved your set you're very talented i'm trying to put a band together why don't we go sure. get coffee and they know what we're going to talk about and then it's either thanks it was nice to meet you or this was great why don't you come to a rehearsal but oh, i was learning okay. all that like as I, as it was like i didn't know how to be a band leader i didn't know how to you know do any of that stuff so i love my first band that first batch of guys they were not you know we they were the guitarist i knew the basses i knew the drummer i knew not mm -hmm. my favorite guys but um and they didn't stick around for very long once i started to find you know more fitting people for the project but i'm grateful for them because they you know trusted me and and i learned so much about band leading and leading rehearsal and producing records and being in the studio and putting on live shows and mm -hmm. all that you know with them by my side and 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 they were all in you know they were in projects so there were moments where they would be like you can't do that nobody does that like you have to do it this way or what do you mean you didn't email this person and let them know about backline or whatever so they were there for that kind of crash course period and, and mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm grateful for that is that where the friends comes from and the friends is that just because you have a different uh revolving door of people coming through and playing on your records or is that something i'm totally missing no the mark on? <laughs> no, no no you're very close so i knew i always wanted to have a set of all the time band members it's like okay you know when if like ringo sprained his wrist they didn't call a different drummer the beatles just didn't appear you know what i mean right right like i i knew i always wanted that i always wanted the same folks different personalities that you could get to know and love the whole time and i knew more than anything i didn't want to be a solo person okay. i wanted to be me and the somethings i wanted to lead a band a large band mm -hmm. um and the name the friends is kind of a play on words because as i was going to these venues in new york like rockwood music hall and the bowery electric and and mercury lounge and all those different things i would see these posters that were like in big you know who here's who's gonna be here friday jane doe and friends with oh a lowercase, sure with with a lowercase f and i would go to the set and like jane doe was phenomenal but so was the drummer and the drummer only got one second at the end and so-and-so on drums and everybody would clap and i would leave these sets and be like that front person was killing but that whole band like and friends with a lowercase f they were stupendous to me too so i wanted to kind of flip that on its head and name the band the friends capital t capital f so it's me and the friends and they're both in the same size font and you see the same people every single time it was a moment of me being like you know anytime an artist gets on stage with a band that they pull together for whatever like that's that's their band and it might be different players the next time but i wanted it to be same players every single time and i wanted those players to be as big of a deal and as big of a part of the live show as i was mm -hmm. so it's kind of a, a play on words there Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I didn't they're know not it just was... they're not just like friends that Sammy Ray pulled up. They are the friends. Right, and... right. So it's exactly pretty much the opposite of what I was thinking. I was thinking, oh, okay, maybe Sammy Ray has different people coming in. So it's like, oh, these are my friends, and they're gonna come. Yeah, each and every time, different people. But it sounds like that's the total opposite reason of why you named it the friends. Yeah, and there was a, it is, it is. There was a time period where it was like that, where I was still trying to figure out who was going to play all the time. And 
I see a lot of these young bands. I'm thinking of one young band in particular who I really love and I am very excited to see how they grow. Um, fronted by uh, a young female as well. And you get so excited that you want to have everybody that you love on stage. So the, in the beginning, it's like I would have pretty much the same bass as guitar as drummer every single show, but I would be like, I met this guy who's a trumpet player. I met this guy who's a keys player. I met this person who does this and this person who does that. So for the first couple shows, it was like we would have a core rhythm section and then everybody else was a rotating cast member. But very quickly, I came to realize that just because I love all 12 of these people, I can't afford to have 12 people on stage. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. And I, well, and then expensive well, paying everybody out. And then oh my the, God. you're like, okay, I made yeah. like 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And then we get to the place where we are able to tour and we have to leave the city. And what am I going to rent? Like a bus? Like <laughs> right. I can't, you know, we got to get, we got to put everybody in the gear in two compacts or whatever. And I see a lot of young bands doing this thing where it's like, they want to have everybody on stage and then eventually they figure out how to, hair down and it's really hard because you're like severing these relationships mm -hmm. um but in the beginning it was that it was a core group and there were a lot of people rotating out every single show and then eventually i was just like what we have we have it's really great and the pro the, the lineup that we've been um with the exception of miss debbie chong who's just joined us on keys about seven months ago we've been the same lineup for for several years Wow, that's incredible. And then with yeah. that first EP, I mean, the first song you put out, Kick It To Me, was, is massive online. I mean, was that something that caught quickly? Like, tell me about how that, you know, th that song really blew up for you. It was Spotify Discover Weekly. And oh, really? I had I had no idea how to do any of that. I mean, I literally went into this. I had this developed this relationship with a recording studio on the Lower East Side because I had a friend who... Um, from years ago that had a job as a mixing engineer there. So I went in and I was kind of just like me and my boy, Josh, who's the mixing engineer here, really want to make this EP of my original material. Can you give us a break? Like, can you hook it up? And they were like, sure, we'll give you the buddy rate and you can make this EP. Let's see what happens. And if it doesn't, nothing happens. And you know, we tried we gave it a, a fair try. And if it pops off and does great, then come back here and make all your music here and don't give up. And I made this EP with no plan on how to release. I didn't know how to make cover art. I didn't know how to get press. I had no following at all. And I wasn't playing gigs yet. We put it out and then I played a show where maybe a hundred people who had seen me at different open mics, maybe more like 50 people uh, came and brought their friends or whatever. And it was an okay show and streams were whatever. Nobody was really streaming because I hadn't promoted it at all. Mm -hmm. And then maybe two months after it came out, I woke up and it had gone from under a thousand plays to 26,000 plays overnight, literally Whoa. overnight. And suddenly it was just climbing. And then right after that, a couple days later, the same thing happened to the feeling, which was another song on that EP. Yeah. So we, it was a combination of, you know, sticking with it and not giving up and, and really having great songs, but also kind of luck, you know? So suddenly we had to make more music. People wanted to see us in different cities. We had to tour and we had to start playing live. Um, and we very quickly started to realize as we were playing live that people were really digging it and every mm -hmm. time the the room would get bigger it would sell out it, it really is um we're like a new york band through and through you know and we're so grateful for our first friends in new york that brought us to where we were such that we could go to tour outside of the city and and 
bringing it to other people in other states. But it really did start kind of with this weird strike of luck. And then the growth was pretty much word of mouth. We're very, we're very grateful for that. That's so cool. I mean, well, obviously you have to have the songs, right? So the one lands and then it could have just been, and now no one cares about the next three or four records. 100%, 100%, yeah. And I've seen that so many times with with bands or like they'll have a, like with TikTok now, they'll have a TikTok hit and then they'll try to regurgitate the exact thing they just tried to do and it either, it doesn't land and then it's like, okay, now I have one song that has 5 million streams and then everything else is under a thousand. It's like, how do you, the fact that you were able to continuously follow yeah. it up is yeah it's that i i could talk to you for three hours about tiktok and how it's changing the face of the music industry it's really disheartening honestly um it's just so bizarre i i had a little video go viral on tiktok a couple of months ago i i invented this dancing queen challenge where essentially i sang this really complicated version of the melody to dancing queen <laughs> And I did it in one breath and it was this challenge was, can you sing this accurately and can you do it in one breath? And it went like stupid, like just over the course of, I can look it up and tell you, but it was like something like 60 million times somebody had used that audio. The tag was at 7 million, 7 million people had used that hashtag. It was bananas. And meanwhile, I'm releasing Lot, I'm, I'm releasing material with my band. I'm touring the country. I'm selling out rooms all over the U.S. And I'm represented by a small record label based out of Canada. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting messages in my inbox that are like, I work for Sony. I work for Warner Brothers. I work for Atlantic Records. We want to offer you a record deal. Who can we contact? And I'm like, you don't like you were willing to offer me a major record contract because of 60 seconds of me singing a cover. You don't know anything about my original material. You don't know anything about my personality. It was really disheartening. It was kind of like, is this how people are getting discovered nowadays? And additionally, I think there's this strange thing with TikTok. I was very disappointed to see a lack of crossover and uh, translation of all those views, all those videos to streams. Mm -hmm. Like there was a little bump Um, it didn't translate over to Instagram. It didn't really translate to ticket sales. It didn't really translate to streams. And every other comment was like, you're so good. You should be on Spotify. You're so good. You should play shows. And I'm like, I am out here. Like (laughs) I have been been out here for years. Yes, I know. So it's frustrating because, you know, there's this moment of clout when you can tell your friends and your peers, like I went viral, but I won and I see a lot of artists getting swept up in something like that. And they have this moment of this is my lucky break. Atlantic hit me up because they want me to, Mm -hmm. you know, they want to give me a record deal because I went viral and it's like, how sustainable is that? You know, and it's, it's, it's a little bit predatory. When you have a big name like that, you need to be careful with the way that you use it and throw it at people. Because I've also seen people jump into something like that. And then they, they went viral because they had a great idea. They can't, generate an album's worth of material overnight mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so it can be it can be tricky that t- sometimes like that no that's so interesting that you had that moment and obviously you know the backstory to grinding and writing songs and even having yeah. a lot of success on that end before the the viral moment happens and then it's like huh you obviously didn't do any research on me to not to be like yeah. hey I w- this is so and so we're gonna offer you a deal and you're like 
Yeah, I already have a deal and I've been doing this and I've been playing shows for a long time. And additionally, you're not interested in my artistry. You're interested in there's something about me that makes made that video go viral. It's how I look, it's the way my voice sounds or whatever. And you're interested in the marketability of now that everybody knows what the Dancing Queen girl's face looks like on TikTok when I make a record with Atlantic, people are going to remember that face and, and, and stream it. So you're interested in marketability. You're not actually interested in, in my talent or my art. Like I'm writing yeah. songs out here. I'm not just singing ABBA covers, you know, <laughs> right. that's a whole different, that's no, a whole yeah, different. That's so wild. That's so wild. Cause I, yeah. like I said, I've interviewed a lot of people that have had that moment where it's like, ah, blah, 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 TikTok, And it did this. And then you even look at their, like this artist has, uh, you know, a million TikTok followers, and then you'll look at their Insta or their sound or Spotify, and doesn't transfer. Like now, there's ten thousand streams yeah. on a song that had five million views on TikTok. Yeah, it, yeah, just never. Yeah. It's but you're totally right on the getting people to the other outlets and the yeah. other. Yeah, and it's 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 very difficult to monetize that. Like. 7 billion uses of a hashtag of 7 million uses of a hat 70 million mm-hmm. hashtag of the dancing queen challenge that I had made last time I checked, which was months ago. I can't monetize that. You know, right. there's no sort of, and the other thing happens where like I invent it and then somebody who's mega famous does that challenge, doesn't credit me. And then their version gets bigger. Right. And now suddenly it's the thing. Thing, it, you know, it's like a career moment for them and not for me. So it's very, it's very discouraging. It's hugely discouraging. It's hard. It's yeah. hard to watch. It's happened to other p- peers of mine too, where it's like mm-hmm. they get all of this visibility for a second. And then as soon as it shows up, it leaves and either they've signed on to a deal and then they have to like, they get burned figure or out something. what that yeah. looks like. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can get really burned. You can get really mm-hmm. burned. Yeah. That's so interesting. And for me, it's like, I, I'm 37 and I, growing up, like, selling out was like the worst thing you could do. Like I remember Green Day signed a major label was like, oh, we can't listen to them anymore. Or like, you know, they yeah. it, like these things happen. And if you like punk music, you can only like punk music. And if you liked, you know, yeah. country music, like you had to play in that like box. And, and nowadays it's just like everything crosses over. You look at like, you know, festival lineups and, you know, J. Cole's playing with Mumford and Sons or it's like so, Hell yeah. which and is I cool. Appreci- I appreciate that too. And that's something I appreciate about the fact that we're on a smaller label and not a major label is I don't think a major label would work for me because I am so desperate for creative control in every aspect of this project. Mm -hmm. And when you're on a major label, there's so much more money at stake. They have so much more creative control. They make so much of the decisions, so many of the decisions about what your art sounds like, which is something I'm not here for. Right, I just right. can't, I just can't operate that way. Mm-hmm. And you know, if, if they take a chance on you and it doesn't work out, you owe you owe them all that money back. Mm-hmm. And that puts people in debt for the rest of their lives sometimes. Yeah. There is a, I'm from San Diego originally. Um, and there's a band in our, in our city that got signed to a major label and they, yeah, they ended up getting really burned on like hundreds yeah. upon hundreds of thousands of dollars that they weren't able to pay back on a recording. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but I was, it was just interesting because now people are trying to shoot for the viral moment. That's what I was going for. And like, you know, when I was younger, it was like, you don't want the, to go with the record and the major label. And now it's like, I want to be the most famous person ever. Like yeah, followers yeah. and likes are, are you yeah. know, the, the running this world, which is crazy. Um, but that's so interesting that they 
Yeah, it just blows me away that those, you're getting those messages as an artist that had been doing this for a number of years with success. And then it's like, oh, well, you have this mo- viral moment. Like, are you interested yeah. in putting a record out? But anyway, I still um, <laughs> get that. I still get I still get like you should be on Spotify and I still get like. Makes me so sad that artists don't care about their fans come to Atlanta. And it's like, girl, I was in Atlanta last week. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, it's my crazy. gosh. Because it comes down to the thing, too, not to stay on this TikTok thing, but like I know if you from what I've gathered, what happens is like if you have a moment like you did with the ABBA song, like if you aren't doing the same thing every time now on TikTok, like they know that TikTok knows like, okay, you did this and the people that follow you enjoyed that enough to share it X billion times or a million times. So they expect you to do this, do a similar video. So it kind of runs in their algorithm. And if you're like, I'm going to get on and play a song of my own now, then it might not land. Oh yeah. As, so it must be hard to like present your music in a way once it might get buried within all that. And you'll get those comments like, why don't yeah. you go play Atlanta? And you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah, scroll three totally. videos down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for all that affirmation. I appreciate it. Sorry. Yes. Um, anyway, we went down a, a, a rabbit hole there. But um, so you have uh, the, the record out. It does well on Spotify. It's actually turning over into sounds like ticket sales and, um, you know, uh, people showing up to your shows and, and, and everything else. From there, like once the, that record does really well, like what's the next thing that happened? Like, was, what was the next like milestone for you, would you say? We hit this stride in New York where we sold out Rockwood Music Hall, which was probably 200 people. And then we got someone to book us at Drum, which is another venue, which is about 320. And that sold out. And then at that point, a booking agent showed up who we are still with to this day. And we love him very much. And he was like, you really need to you, you need to be playing larger venues. You can't just sell out these little venues every single time like play something bigger like let's try you at brooklyn bowl which was like 500 Mm. tickets sure and then we sold that out so (laughs) we had this really interesting period of time where we realized it was very simple like we were coming we spent a lot of time tailoring the live show around generating a really fun safe inviting environment for everybody Mm-hmm. And at the end of the show, you know, we're the friends. Thank you all, too, for being our friends. And why don't you come back again next time we're in town? We'll throw this party again, but bring one of your friends. And it's very simple math. If everybody in the room comes with one more person, the next right. time we play that city, this room is twice the size. And every single time we upscaled in New York, we would sell it out. Wow. Um, and and finally, it was like, it's time for us to go tour, you know, the Northeast and and I think that was a pivotal moment is once we had this run of a couple months of playing shows in New York and selling everything out, we were like, we have to take this elsewhere and see if it, if it's a fluke, does just New York love us or is it everywhere? And luckily it was other cities. It's everywhere. I mean, I'm just looking at your tour schedule from January and you were selling out San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, like all the furthest from where you guys were at, I mean, in New York, yeah, the, right? the West Coast was bananas. The West Coast was crazy. I remember distinctly we played a show in Seattle that was thirteen hundred people, and it had sold out well pre-sale, and there were thirteen hundred people on the other side of the country freaking out as hard as Brooklyn. And in Brooklyn, it's like our friends, like our bodega guys, like 
our fan base that's been there since day one, but it was our first time ever in Seattle, our first time ever on the West Coast. And, mm-hmm. and those people were as excited about about the show as the people in New York were. So that was really like a slap in the face, if you that's will. So that, was cool. very, that was very surprising. And you yeah. played, well, I'm originally from San Diego. I've since moved to, to Nashville about a little over a year ago, but uh, you played the Bellium nice. Tavern in Solana Beach, which is yeah. such a beautiful venue. Woo! Um, yeah, that was bizarre. That was so weird. There's a giant shark in there. Do you oh know what yeah, I'm talking about? oh There's yeah, a giant shark with glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, that venue is cool too because there's this <laughs> uber rich guy um, in San Diego that will rent it out for his wife's birthday every year. And that I don't know sick. if he's done it the past few years, but he'll get like the most insane lineup and he'll play that room. Like Rolling Stones played it. He had. Um, is that crazy? Yeah, he had. Holy shit! He had the Foo Fighters. Sorry. No, you can cuss. You can cuss. Okay. Sick. Uh, okay. I didn't know yeah. if I could cuss on your show. I'm sorry. Oh no, you can cuss on my show. Um, I'm trying to think. Some he had Lady Gaga on the Foo Fighters. That was one of the shows. Like it, just unbelievable. Paul McCartney. Like just. Like, I'm the just trying to. I'm just names. trying to think about the Rolling Stones. Just like. All right, oh, gentlemen, yeah. time for sound check and the stage is this big. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> wow. It's crazy. I yeah. didn't know that. That's that's wild. Yeah, and it would be like this secret thing. I think the Killers did it. Too. I mean, he would get these random bands that were mass. I mean, not random, but these massive bands that would never in a million years play a venue that's that size anymore. And then he right. would get them. Not that the Billy Up is small, but it's not, you know. The, oh, the baseball stadium downstairs, you know, down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. I saw that you guys played there, and that's such a cool spot. So um, yeah, I, I loved it. Rad. Loved it. Loved um, it. So you put well, you talk. You said let's throw a party, and that was the an EP you guys put out. Is, is right twenty uh, twenty? Is that what I saw? Yes. So we put out the good life in twenty eighteen, and then we had a couple of singles that were standalone, mm-hmm. and then we put out the let's throw a party EP. Uh, and we put out another single after that. We're putting out another single on July 15th. Um, so we're in this flow right now where our record deal is, uh, it was 10 originals and two covers. So we've fulfilled part of that with that. Uh, we put out a first EP and we also put out a, a cover of Everybody Wants mm-hmm. to Rule the World. Yeah. And we're now working towards the tail end of that. So we put out the single a few months ago, Follow Me Like the Moon. And we went on the Follow Me Like the Moon national tour. Yep. And then... We're putting out another single called For the Time Being on the 15th of July. And then we'll put out one more single and then ultimately we'll drop a five song EP. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, Well, with uh, Let's Throw a Party, you put that out in 2020. So yeah. were you able to, was that in the middle of the pandemic or was that pre-pandemic? We had recorded two of those five before March of 2020. So when life was still real mm-hmm. and we could gather and all that. Um, and it was tough because then you know, when the lockdown happened, a lot of us felt it was, we all live in Brooklyn and a lot of us felt it was safer because there was so, I mean, nobody knew what the heck was going on. It was wild in New York too. That was like where those first couple days, nobody knew what the hell was going on. And every other day Cuomo was going, I'm going to shut down New York tomorrow. Nobody in, nobody out. So we all felt it was safer for us. Pretty much all of us left New York um, through a weird turn of events. I had like a, family house that was we had we had family members that were um stuck out of their house elsewhere they were on a trip they got stuck so i spent about eight weeks the first eight weeks in connecticut at a family house and and everybody else kind of dispersed and went different places back to where they're from or 
rented other houses. So it was really hard for us to create collaboratively the way we usually do those other three songs. Um, and it took us quite a while. I was writing and it took us quite a while to finally be able to go in and record them. Um, but what I'll say is, you know, we had our first real national tour. It was a six week tour, um, scheduled to kick off shortly after. And we ended up, we had to cancel the whole thing. Um, it was gut wrenching. Um, we were opening for somebody and, you know, we had this identity crisis of like, what is it to be a touring musician? Are we still touring musicians? We can't tour. We can't even get together to the studio to release music. So we took to the online space and our social media platforms and, and tried to maintain that sense of community. And our audience was so encouraging, so thoughtful, so thorough, so right there with us, so supportive and decided ultimately to release those two songs that we had and the audience grew. They really loved those songs. They really loved what we were cultivating in terms of a support system online. And by the time we were able to tour again, uh, you know, we realized we had to schedule, we had to reschedule all of those rooms, if not larger rooms, but as the headliner and mm -hmm. put our own tour together. Um, so we ultimately recorded the last three and then put out the EP let's throw a party and the rest is history. We've been touring really hard ever since. Wow. 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 And you put out, you said the deal is you have to do two covers in an EP. Is that, is that what you said? Or just two, one so cover? it was 10 or originals 10 and two, 10 originals and two covers. And, and we could have either gone the album route with two covers or two EPs. So we ultimately decided to go two EPs. So we are okay. working on the second of second those two EP. EPs right now. Yeah. Very cool. And, uh, and the second cover. Yeah. So I haven't picked her yet. I don't know okay. what that's going to be. <laughs> I was going to ask you, do you know what you're going to yeah. do? Why'd you choose Tears for Fears? Was there a reason behind that one? Kind of yes and no. I think I love that song. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't like that song. We also did a cover of Last Christmas by Wham, which is a lot. I of did see that. Yeah. That's a lot of, okay. That's one of my favorite releases we've ever had. I thought okay. it really came out cooking. We were really cooking on that song. And I love it. I think what's funny about Tears, the, the Tears for Fear song and the Wham song is everybody knows those songs, but they're not necessarily like everybody's favorite song. They're not the grooviest. Like by the, mm. by the fifth time you've heard uh, uh, Last Christmas every December, you're like, I'm done. Give me something else. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I thought it was a nice challenge to be like, how do we take this and make it as far from the original as possible with all, also still while maintaining the heart of the song so people know what the heck they're listening to. And, and that's what we ended up deciding to do. Amazing. Those two songs. Yeah, I think you did a great job. Uh, I I, did, I saw that you did uh, last Christmas. I didn't listen to it. I'm not going to lie to you because I'm like, that's fine. Uh, it's not uh, Christmas. It, it, I'm like, it's almost June. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good. But I did hear the Tears for Fears cover because I'm a huge fan of that band. And I saw that you guys decided to cover that. I'm like, this is awesome. So um, I will say you did a great job on that one. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, yeah, I, was just, I was just blowing my nose. It's uh, oh, allergy okay. season. <laughs> oh, I know. It's horrible. So I, I it's totally not... get it. All right, I'm back. Oh, you're back. Awesome. So you have a new song uh, uh, coming out. Do you said June or July? July fifteenth. Uh, July fifteenth. Yeah. Okay. July fifteenth, and then uh, uh, EP to follow. Do you have all the songs complete for the EP, or you're just doing them as they kind of land? 
not 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 quite. Uh, okay. We have another the the next single. We have some of them recorded. Some of them are not yet recorded. We okay. you know it's really a, a career focus of us to be touring. We are traveling really really hard. We are we just did a five week national tour. We played something like twenty five cities in like thirty four days or something like that. It was mm -hmm. totally crazy. And that's the now tour that was the festival uh... season. So. That was the Salon Beach tour, right? Is that the one you're talking about? That was recently. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. that tour. Okay. Mm, wait. Well, January, right? No, that's not true. Oh, am I yes. missing it? Yes, we kind of March. cut it. Oh, uh, yeah. No, okay. no, no. We cut it into... We, we cut it into two chunks. We did a West Coast leg, and then yes, you're right. You're right. We came okay. home, chilled for a second, and then went and did a, a East Coast run. But it's festival season now, so um, you know, four days ago we were in. Chillicothe, Illinois, and the next day we flew to West Virginia, and uh, day after tomorrow we fly to Grand Rapids. So it's a lot of in and out this summer, a lot of festivals, which means a lot of traveling. Um, so while it is obviously a huge priority for us to be generating new material, we have some stuff lined up already. Sure. So I'm not sure when we'll get back into the studio, hopefully soon. Exciting, exciting. Well, it's yeah. awesome that you have you know another one coming out soon, soon enough, and and stuff ready to ready to go. Yeah, totally. Well, I appreciate your time today, Sammy. This has been so fun. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I do have one more quick question before I let you go. I sure. want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Uh, I say this every time somebody asks me a question like this, and I always try to say it differently, but like, you need to be your fullest, truest, most authentic self as hard as possible you possibly can. And you need to do whatever it takes for you to get there as soon as you can. I know it's kind of a coming of age thing. And a lot of people don't really feel comfortable to fully express themselves until they're adults or the right friends come along or the right job comes along or something like that. But being yourself, being authentic, making art that is true to you is the easiest thing ever. Like it's literally it like how much work it takes to try to be somebody different, how much energy, it takes and you're always going to let yourself down you know um you need to get to a place where you understand and fully appreciate and and care for and are willing to fully express your authentic self as young as you can and stay there it's the funnest thing to do ever it's the easiest way to live your life um stop trying to be somebody else go make music that you're supposed to make Otherwise, it's not sustainable. It's the most sustainable thing in the world to be yourself. Imagine how tired you would be if you committed to living every day for the for the rest of your life, dedicated to somebody else's expectations of you. You'd be exhausted, you know? So I figure out who you are and stick with it and go make your art. Don't be told no. 